Okay, friends, welcome back to another Seed Talk with Lisa and Lane. Hi, Lane. Hi, welcome everyone. So friends, we're so glad you're joining us here today. And if it's your first time, welcome. And so I'm kind of the head bottle washer here at the Gardener's Workshop and Lane is the seed manager. And this podcast, Seed Talk, has grown out of all the questions that you guys send in asking about seeds. So here we are today, and this podcast is brought to you by thegardenersworkshop.com. And Lane, what are we going to chat about today? All right. So today is going to be a follow-up episode to our one and done cool flowers episode, which was episode Mm. 19. And today we are going to be doing part one of our cut and come again cool flowers. So I know a lot of people are looking forward to this. We're going to have a part one today, and then we'll follow up in a future episode with part two. Awesome. All right. Shall we go ahead and get started? Yeah. Let's just like dive in. Yeah. All right. So let's start off with a question. What is a cut and come again, cool flower? Sure. So basically, I guess the simplest in um, description would be a plant that actually branches that typically will continue to branch more and more and produce more stems if you cut it to stimulate the plant to do that. Yeah. So it will give you repeat blooms. It's not just you cut it one time and that's it. Right. All right. Exactly. So if it has repeat blooms branching, why would you want to plant successions of cut and come again plants? What a great question. So, and this, I mean, it can really vary from plant to plant. I'm just thinking about different flowers. So a plant, when it, for its first, um, the first time it blooms, they always tend to be the biggest and the strongest stems because the plant is fresh and new. Think of a teenager out playing football, right? They're out there running around crazy. And then you have the older folks like me that might be pretty spunky at first, but they quickly wear out. Well, the same thing can happen to plants, particularly based on your growing conditions, how much you're feeding or watering and caring for it. And there's a lot of things that can actually affect how they come and cut again. So by planting successions, you are insured to have at least a frequent happening of those biggest and best blooms, especially as flower farmers, we're always looking for those grade A blooms. Yeah. And it's also good to hedge your bets so that if something happens to your other planting, well, maybe you already have another set that's on the way or it's already in the ground. So you don't put all your eggs in one basket. That is so very, very true. We've had that happen with storms, with sunflowers. You know, a big old wind would come on one part of the farm, but not on the other. And it laid them all down and we lost them all. But we were so grateful to have some others in another spot that were coming right along. Yes. All right. So we are going to cover 11 cool flowers, 11 cut and come again cool flowers today. And we will cover the remaining in our part two. And just like in our one and done episode, I'm going to ask the same questions for every single plant. So the first question, yes. So the first question I'm going to ask is why is this plant worth growing? 
The next is going to be how many stems does each plant produce? And I'm going to issue the same disclaimer I did in our one and done episode. This is just the number of stems that Lisa has experienced, and this can vary based on your growing conditions, the grower's experience level, the variety, whether a plant was pinched or not. We are just trying to give you a general idea of the number of stems you might expect to get. And then we're going to talk about how long does this plant generally keep producing. And then we're going to find out if Lisa plants successions on the farm, and if she does, how many and how far apart. And we should also mention that we are located in USDA zone 7B8A, so southeastern Virginia. And if you live in a cooler region, you may actually be able to have these flowers producing for longer. You may be able to plant more successions. And if you're somewhere that's a lot warmer, you may have them producing for a shorter period of time, or you may be able to plant fewer successions than what we talk about. So true. All right. So up First, we have Ami. And if you're watching over on YouTube, we have Ami Magus on the left and Ami Viznaga on the right. Ami is winter hardy to USDA zone seven. And Ami flowers are these large, flat, lacy umbels. They really help to fill up a bouquet. And beneficial insects also love Ami and appreciate it as much as people do. So, Lisa, why is Ami worth growing? Oh my goodness. So for anybody that might not be familiar, this looks like Queen Anne's lace, which is so commonly sought after, but it is such a better cut flower um, than the actual wild, um, maybe having a little bit of pest issues out in the wild, um, Queen Anne's lace. So this is perhaps one of the staple flowers that particularly flower arrangers, florists, um, have come to really rely on. Um, but, and it's because it's just so very useful in bouquets. We actually harvest it really early on while it's still green and super useful. So it's a great filler. And as Lane mentioned, this is a great pollinator, beneficial insect magnet to your garden. Um, and it is an in demand and it's white. So that yes. makes it also very, very in demand. Yes. And in a landscape setting, we grow a lot of green mist, which is Ami Visnaga in our garden. And I've noticed, again, if you're not cutting the flowers, if you're just using them for landscape use, they stay looking pretty for a really long time. And even once the actual flowers have faded and they go into their seed production phase, they still have a very interesting structural look in the garden. And they're just very pretty. And it also is a strong reseeder in our garden. And, you know, Lane, I'm glad you mentioned that because actually, so if you miss your opportunity to cut them early and they progress into their pollen stage, you don't want to cut them during that pollen stage. But the next stage is actually when the bloom becomes, as it's starting to develop seed, it will actually last longer in a bouquet. And I adore it when it's got those green, thick seed husks coming yes. along. I mean, it, it's really beautiful that way also. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I'd kind of forgotten. So it's really useful. Yeah. All right. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does this plant seem to be producing for you? Sure. So Ami Magus is really a great brancher for us. I mean, it's nothing for us to get 10, 12, 15 stems off of a 
especially the ones that we fall plant that are really well established that just really branch out. And as she mentioned, it is a strong reseeder. And those that reseed really seem to be because they obviously um, sprout at their optimal time because they're picking the time because they're self sowers. Um, those tend to even branch even more. Um, and the challenge with AMI is to pick where you're going to make the cuts to try to get as many stems as possible, but make sure they're long. Because we find that once it really starts to heat up, they really start to peter out. So they stop producing. So it really depends on if we're having a, a warm, dry spring or a wet, cool, early summer. So it can have some variables, but it is definitely a keeper. Yes. All right. And do you plant successions of Ami? So the succession would be a classic cool flower succession, meaning if I can plant you in the fall, I plant you in the fall, then I plant you again in very early spring. And depending, um, Ami would not be one that I would probably do a succession past, or past early spring because our summers just really are hard on it. So you just do one again in very early spring. Right. So a total of two plantings. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Next, we have a really beautiful foliage mm. plant. It produces these very pretty little seed pods up and down the stems. And this is Atriplex. Atriplex is winter hardy to USDA zone seven. So why is Atriplex worth growing? Oh my goodness. Well, if you're watching us on you, if you're not watching us on YouTube, this picture is worth going to see. Um, it is the development of the seed pods that you are growing this for as a cut flower grower. I tried the first time I ever grew it, I cut it way too soon. And I just wasn't sure what everybody was so excited about. But then I just ignored it. And then I came back one day and it was producing all of these dainty little seed pods and we love the green and the red and it is a strong brancher we actually pinch atroplex and um that induces branching and i mean it is nothing to get four to eight good quality stems um from it but beware deer love it as much as i do yes i was going to mention that as well and like lisa said there's kind of an apple green color and a wine red they are so so pretty all right. So you kind of already mentioned this, but how many stems does each plant produce and how long does it produce for you? So Atroplex, um, to not answer your question directly, but just to say it's one of the ones that I direct sow in the fall and I can be a little late direct sowing. It really likes it cold leading up to as soon as the heat comes, it really takes it out. But I mean, it is nothing to get six to eight stems off of an Atroplex, really nice stems. But again, it would depend on that season. And um, Atroplex, if I remember correctly, is in the spinach family. So it really thrives in the cool to cold conditions. So do you plant successions? So I would plant, we plant it in the fall and I would attempt to plant it again in a very early spring. However, I have had the best luck direct seeding it and I don't direct seed in early spring. So I have not tried that. All right, moving on to the next. Ooh, okay. Uh, so next up we have baby's breath and we're talking about the annual 
varieties of baby's breath here. Baby's breath is winter hardy to USDA zone seven. This is another one that's extremely airy, delicate, great for filling up bouquets or in a vase by itself. So why is annual baby's breath worth growing? Well, first off, every anyone that does flowers, whether it's for your kitchen table or for professionally, is just always hungry for lots of beautiful flowers in spring. And white is always a great color, which is what this baby's breath is. And because it's such a filler, it's got lots of little teeny flowers. So if you can imagine the perennial baby's breath that everyone sees dried, it's that same distribution of blooms, but these are like little miniature cosmos almost on the stem. Yeah. Um, and I found them to be incredibly branchy and productive. Okay. So how many stems does each plant produce and how long does it produce for you? Sure. So I would say, first off, you know, we plant everything tight here, unless something there's a problem with that. So we put four rows in a bed and then in the row, they're only six inches apart. And this is a super brancher. So what I'm getting at, it's really difficult to see whose branch you're actually cutting, but I would speculate that two to six stems probably off of each plant um, is not um, unheard of. And we tend to not get a lot of long-term repeating because it does not like it warm. It does, it starts to kind of stop producing once the heat starts warming up around here. All right. So do you plant successions? Right. So we do plant in the fall. And then I did plant, um, I have done it once and it was, I would call it a very successful experiment. We planted in very early spring, also transplants, transplants both times. And while they did not get as big and robust as the fall planted, they were surely good cut flowers. They were tall enough. Yes. And you had a bed of this last year and the display with all of them on mass was just breathtaking. And it is. And I found that the little tiny uh, parasitic wasps, all these beneficial insects oh. were very drawn to them. Okay. So now we're on to the next one. And this is going to be bachelor buttons. So bachelor buttons are winter hardy to USDA zone six. They are a very early bloomer and you might be used to the blue, the true blue bachelor's buttons, which are beautiful, but there are so many varieties available as well. So if you're watching over on YouTube on the left, we have classic fantastic, which is a mix of blues and whites on the right. We have classic magic, which is kind of whites and purples. And there's also one called classic romantic, which has more of the pink tones. So why are bachelor buttons worth growing? So a lot of people ask me this question. <laughs> bachelor buttons typically are not a really big flower. I mean, I would guess probably an inch and a half is considered big for their bloom, um, but they bloom super early in the season. Sometimes for us here um, out in the field, I will have bachelor buttons on the verge or actually blooming late March. Um, April is full of bachelor buttons typically. So what I tell people is you don't want to grow a hundred foot row of bachelor buttons if you're a flower farmer, but to have five, a 10 or a 20 foot, depending on how big your farm is or your garden, having just a five foot section of bed of bachelor buttons to be able to cut from, to pop your bouquets up, it's the colors. I mean, 
the blue is true blue and there is no other flower like that that early in the season typically and we can actually we've done it for several years back when we were in high production if you're smart enough to not overplant, meaning that you can stay on top of harvesting and keep them constantly harvested, bachelor buttons will keep blooming into July. And oh, if you, yeah. I mean, you can easily do that. But where people fall off is they overplant. There's too many to cut because no, there's no question they take a little bit more time to cut and it's a small flower. So it's got a lot of things stacked against it. But if you turn the tables, have a small amount and say, I'm just going to have two or three for each bouquet because it makes everything else pop. I mean, they are amazing. I can't imagine not growing them is literally the way I feel about them. And do you have any tips for harvesting for someone that may have been overwhelmed by a patch of bachelor buttons in the past? So the, again, not having a large patch staring at you really fuels you to cut them. And we cut them just as you can see, if you're looking at the picture on YouTube, um, the ones that the purples, the one at the top of the screen right next to an open bloom where you can see that it's kind of the, the, but the bloom petals are there, that's the stage to cut them in. And if you cut on a regular basis and never let them get ahead of you, it is so much simpler to cut. And we cut the stems basically almost at ground level. That also controls how many stems there are and controls the height. Um, we do net them. A lot of people can't imagine netting bachelor buttons and cutting through them. But when you don't have a lot to cut, when you stay on top of cutting them, you cut them deep enough so there's not a ton of little branchy things going on. It's really quite simple. And we strip everything except for one leaf and the bloom. You're not using these for foliage because you'll never keep them hydrated. So it definitely takes an art. Yeah. This may be a little difficult to answer, but how many stems would you say each plant produces? And you've already said, if you keep on top of it for you, you probably could have them going through July. So they produce a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I say, if you cut that central stem all the way down to the ground, that just really gets a lot of branching going. And again, if you keep those branches getting harvested as they're starting to bud up and starting to crack open, it just keeps the plant busy developing yeah. more and more. And it is an amazing pollinator plant. So that's why you want to cut your bachelor buttons. All right. And do you plant successions? No, because we direct sow them in the fall and we can't direct sow in early spring here. Okay, on to the next. We are moving on to black-eyed Susans, also known as Rudbeckia. These are winter hardy to USDA zone five. And it's something I always notice about Rudbeckia when I look at the pictures or when I look at all the varieties on our shelves, there is so much diversity in the Rudbeckia genus in terms of what the flowers look like. So over on YouTube on the left, we have Cherokee Sunset, which are these large double flowers in these burnt orange and chocolatey bronze colors. And then we have Rudbeckia triloba on the right, which are these smaller flowers with the classic black-eyed Susan, yellow petals and black center. But I don't know that it would immediately strike you that the Cherokee sunset is a Rudbeckia for someone just looking at it. But this is such a great group of plants for pollinators and birds also love it if you allow them to form seeds. So why are Rudbeckias worth growing, Lisa? 
And flower farmers should love Rudbeckias. Rudbeckias, <laughs> um, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, there is just such a vast variety of different looks, but they're easy growers, strong growers, drought tolerant, deer. Do the deer eat them at your house, Lane? So unfortunately, the rabbits enjoy them a lot. So they tend to yes. take them out for us at a very early stage, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I found have- that to be true too. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I see them on a lot of deer and rabbit resistant lists, but unfortunately I have not found that to be the case. <laughs> yeah. And so it can definitely vary, but um, yes. cut flower growers, um, it is just, as Lane mentioned, no one would look at that Cherokee sun um, set and say, oh, look, it's a black eyed Susan because they're so different looking. And that's what I found with my commercial customers. They really didn't even know that those were what were called black eyed Susans. You know, they think they're kind of daisy. They're long lasting. If you harvest them at the right stage, they have long stems when they're fall planted. We even get over 36 inches on those varieties like Sahara, um, Denver daisy, not Denver daisy. Well, that too, but brandy, some of those specialty ones that we found people talked about their stems being so short. Well, they are short if you plant them in spring, but if you plant them, if they're winter hardy in your zone and they're well established coming out of um, winter into spring, I mean, we got huge flowers, tall stems and an abundance of them. Yes. All right. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? I will tell you that Dave Dowling would probably say, I bet there's 25 to 50 stems on a plant. Yeah. Um, he tells he tells a great story about one time he had a new hire employee and they did a lot of, they did farmer's markets, Dave's farm did. And one market morning, they left her there to harvest and most everybody else went off to the markets. Well, they told her to go harvest the Rudbeckia, but nobody bothered to tell her that you never cut all the Rudbeckia. You just fill up two buckets and that's enough. They came back and she had like eight buckets of the same type of Rudbeckia. There was so many stems. So they are very prolific and abundant producers. And particularly if you keep them cut a lot is what I'm going to say. All right. And do you plant successions? Last year and the year before um, we fall planted, which is our normal standard procedure. Um, but we want to get some of these darker colored Rudbeckias later in the summer. So we fought very early spring planted and they bloomed a little later, but we actually planted some more like for me, which would be spring, April, mid-April, which is eight weeks later than I would normally plant them. And they definitely bloomed later in the summer, which was beneficial. And they, again, as I've mentioned in the past, They were not as tall nor as abundant, but they were tall enough and abundant enough to make them useful as a cut flower. We got more of what sometimes you hear people say for, we did it with Sahara and cherry brandy. Um, We got more like a 24 inch stem, which is still tall enough. Yeah. There are a lot of great colors of Rudbeckia. They give that fall look to bouquets. Yeah. Okay, so next we are moving on to Canterbury Mm. Bells, also known as Campanula. And this is winter hardy to USDA zone five. These have stems that are just loaded with these beautiful bells. It comes in all sorts of colors. Why is Campanula worth growing? So it is just such a breathtaking cut. 
Um, the flowers are fairly large. I would say they're probably one to two inches tall. They're a bell, they face upward. Um, the purple, which is what's showing in the, um, the slideshow, is just a favorite. However, it also comes in white, lavender, and soft pink, and they're all as breathtaking as these are. They're long lasting, super cut flowers, in demand by florists. You do have to really, if you're a field grower like I am, you have to keep your eye to the sky. And if you're, you need them and there's rain coming, you may need to harvest them because basically there are a bunch of little buckets just sitting there waiting to fill up with water, which can damage the actual blooms. Yeah. And you have had some experiences with deer and Campanula. Is yes. That right? And we were quite surprised the last year and we're, we're going to find out again this year. Um, <laughs> Campanula seems to be kind of like deer bait. And when we were in high production, I can remember that I only had like a 30 foot run of Campanula that was buried in the middle of this field that had like beds and beds of all these beautiful snaps. And the deer touched near one snapdragon, but walked in and ate the Campanula plants literally to the ground. They were on the verge of blooming, but they didn't touch anything. None of the Sweet William, none of the um, snapdragon. So they walked down an aisle past all the snaps to get the Campanula. So it may be a deer bait, but last year, cross your fingers, we didn't have any issues. <laughs> okay. All right. So how many stems does each plant produce and how long is each plant producing for you? So we do not pinch Campanula and I can't recall right now. There's been a discussion on the um, cut flower boards about that. Um, and so typically we would get one just grade A, I would call it. It would be like one of our florist top quality, large, huge blooms. Um, but then you get an additional, usually you know, like three to six side shoots that are super sufficient for bouquets and that type of work. All right. And do you plant successions? I find that you do not get enough time. I think I'm just trying to think. I just read about this. Um, I think that there's not enough day length to for a sufficient day length to get elongated stems in spring planted Campanula. So we have only fall planted it and had excellent results. Okay, moving on. Next up, we have carnations. So these are dianthus. They are winter hardy to USDA zone eight. These are small, roughly flowers. I think most people recognize carnations. They have a sweet, spicy fragrance and they're very long lasting in the vase. So why are carnations worth growing? So their, their common name is French heirloom carnations, which just makes you want to grow them, right? I mean, that's oh, just so yeah. great to be able to say. <laughs> But the fragrance is why we grew them. And um, they were quite um, just a pleasant little spot. It's kind of like a bachelor button. They are not a big showy flower in my experience, um, but they are very nice to have one or two to tuck into bouquets to get them a little fragrant. Um, but they wintered over here beautifully. Um, and so they are great colors. You know, they come in pinks and shrimpy colors and deep wine. And um, so it's a nice color variation. 
this is like bachelor buttons. It's not one that I'd be growing a whole hundred foot bed of, but it's nice to add um, a pop of color and that nice fragrance at into a spring bouquet. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? They are very branchy. So I would say multiple stems, probably eight to 15. Um, <clears throat> and it's one that I would also say that I would be so, I, we planted uh, a lot of this this year because we're exploring some solid colors. And my plan of madness is I'm going to harvest this like we do agrostema where you reach, um, it has to be netted or you would have nothing to cut, reach down at ground level under the netting from the side, reach, grab the whole plant um, handful, and then just cut it at ground level and pull it down through the netting um, and then strip it as best you can. Dianthus typically is just super great to hydrate. Um, so in that case, you know, it's a come and cut again, but it's multiple branches. You know what I mean? But it's a lot of, I mean, anywhere from, I would guess six to 20. All right. And do you plant successions? I have not because it's not the tallest plant. So fall planting for us has worked best. And I would be doubtful that we'd get enough stem length before it would start to try to bloom in spring. So no, no successions. Okay, moving on. Next up, we have dill. And this is mm. winter hardy to USDA zone eight. These are these huge umbels with yellow chartreuse flowers. These are so beautiful. They literally look like fireworks. In our garden, we also grow dill as a host plant for black swallowtail butterflies. Why is dill worth growing? So it, like we spoke of the Ami earlier, um, you can actually use it super fresh as it's just starting to get a little bit of yellow, their little yellow flowers are beginning to open. But then once it gets to its pollen stage, you don't want to cut it. But then as it starts to develop seed, it gets really interesting looking. And as Lane yeah. mentioned, um, our customers used to always say, when are the fireworks flowers coming? Because Suzanne... Oh would tuck one, maybe two if they weren't big, into bouquets with them kind of riding above the other flowers. And it literally looked like fireworks going off above the flowers. Super fragrant. Um, and we found that florists absolutely loved them. Those florists that don't mind fragrance, um, and they're super tall. So they're yeah. really nice, good use for big arrangements. Um, but dill is a really unexpected twist in bouquets. Yeah. And beneficial insects love them. And mm. this is another one that if you allow them to develop seeds, they actually will reseed in your garden. Yes. And um, like Lane said, we fall plant this every year knowing that it's zone eight. And if we get that 7B behavior winner, we might lose them, but it's worth trying because they are literally six to seven feet tall when we fall plant them. Um, oh, and yeah. the benefit, I mean, to just stand next to the canopy, you've just never seen, you can really see the army of beneficial insects at work. It's really fascinating. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? So dill um, is one of those that will continue to branch. And if you cut deep, they will continue to send up branches that will elongate. 
um, and produce for a bouquet or something. But if you start cutting the stems really high on the plant, what I found is the branching is too short to be useful. Um, so I would say probably, I mean, six to 10 stems per plant. And we, we kind of crowd dill in. So you can crowd it a little tighter than maybe what you would expect in other plants. Um, but it's just a strong grower and will continue to branch. Um, it'll take a little heat, but once the humidity really starts coming and it gets droughty around here, it just stops putting out stems. All right. So do you plant successions? Yes. Yeah, so we fall plant. We very early spring plant, and then I'll plant one more time four to six weeks after that. Doesn't always pay off, but when it does, it's great. All right. So now we're moving on to one of my all-time favorites. This is foxglove, also known as digitalis, and this is winter hardy to USDA zone five. These are just such striking, breathtaking looking flowers. Foxgloves have these long, dramatic spikes of tubular flowers with freckled throats. There are so many different heights and colors available. There are pinks, purples, peaches, whites, creams, all sorts of shades. If you're looking for something that deer and rabbits will not eat, this is something you definitely need to be trying. All parts of the plant are poisonous, so deer and rabbits tend to leave this alone, but do be careful if you have children or pets around them. And also this is one that works well if you have a part sun, part shade area. They can definitely take less sun than a lot of other cut flowers. So why is foxglove worth growing? So we used to grow an awful lot of digitalis. Um, Colonial Williamsburg was a big fan of digitalis, as you can imagine. Um, and so it has the same, it was the same type of form as a snapdragon. It's a tall spike with a lot of flowers running along the edge, up the sides. And what's so unique about digitalis is, I mean, the freckles are what just make them, set them apart from like snapdragons, right? Yes. Um, and they come in a different set of colors, the soft yellows and the whites and the freckles just make them just a nice, um, different look, but you do need to be aware it is highly poisonous um, to animals and kids. I mean, it's digitalis. So people need to be aware of that. We never found that to be a problem because we don't, you know, our dogs have never messed with them, but that doesn't mean that there aren't dogs that wouldn't mess with them. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind, but it is a strong grower in the part shade as Lane mentioned. Um, but it's, I always loved using it in straight bouquets of digitalis. I mean, a big vase of oh, beautiful yes. digitalis is a showstopper. No question about that. So on the farm, did you find that you got the best results growing in full sun or do you have a part sun, part shade area that you grew these in? I actually grew them in full blasting sun and that tended to make them branch more. Um, I, they branched more quickly but they didn't go as long into summer because they're out in the hot sun. So, you know, you got yeah. your flowers, you know, they were hot and fast. And we should also mention that if you're trying to very early spring plant these, you should make sure you get a variety that is first year flowering that doesn't require a cold period. It doesn't require vernalization. That way it can bloom this year if you're planting in very early spring. And that's something we should have also mentioned that with Campanula, um, because 
many of them, as many of foxgloves, are true biennials, which need a much longer growing period. So the specific varieties that we recommend and sell of these specific plants are those that are first year blooming. So that means you can fall plant them and get spring blooms. Um, they're typically like 16, I think, to 18 weeks from seed to bloom. So good point, Lane. Yeah. And you always like to grow foxy. There's yes. the Camelot series, the Dalmatian series. These are first year flowering, no vernalization required varieties. And, you know, you just kind of have to know that because not all catalogs and books um, tell you that in the description. So you really have to do your homework. Yes. Okay. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? Sure. So typically more growing them out in full sun, probably three really great tall initial stems. Then they'll branch and send up probably four to six. But after that, they're pretty much done. So once the heat and the humidity starts, um, they really start to, st they get shorter and shorter is what happens. And they aren't really useful. They would be great in a garden, but not as oh, cut yes. flowers. All right. Do you plant successions? No, we do not. I've always been a fall planter of these, just trying to get the tallest stems and the most abundant production. Um, so I have not tried that. I'd be afraid if you don't have a long spring like um, weather that they would start to bloom before they elongated enough. Yeah, I have planted in very early spring. They do bloom, but like you said, the stems are shorter, which is fine for me because I'm growing right. in a landscape setting. Sure. And actually almost it's, it may even be preferential to have them yeah. shorter so they don't predispose to fall over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So up next we have Gadisha. Lisa says Gadisha, tomato, tomato. It's also known as Clarkia. This is winter hardy to USDA zone eight. These have sort of silky satiny petals and they really have a tropical look to me. I don't know about you, Lisa, but why is this worth growing? Yeah, and it almost looks like a single lisianthus. And when I say a single, oh. I mean that's not double petal. It's yeah. that same kind of flower form. Um, but they do bloom early in the season and they have some great colors. The salmon that you have pictured here um, is just one of those hot colors that you're always looking for other shapes of flowers. And this is just a really, really great one. Um, so the first year that I ever grew this many, many years ago, um, I, I, did, I, I didn't know anything about them and they, I didn't realize when to actually cut them. And you definitely cut them as soon as the, before the petals open, as the bud starts to color up. And I didn't know that because they move really fast. Here where I am, we classically in early spring or in spring have cool nights but you can have like a 90 degree afternoon and then go down to 40 degrees that night. Well, the heat pushes these really fast. So you definitely want to harvest them as not delayed um, as I did. And they all just blew open out in the garden before I even knew what happened. And that kind of made me not grow them for several years until other people started talking about them about how much they loved them. I understand that some of the other colors are particularly beautiful. And you do have experience with deer with these, right? Yes. Deer and rabbits both really seem to take a liking to them. So you have to protect them. We have them row covered. 
All right. And how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? Sure. Definitely pinch. And that'll give you probably four to six, at least good stems. They don't like the heat. So they start to peter out as the heat and humidity gets going. So do you plant successions? Yeah, we have, uh, we are actually this year, fall and very early spring planting up until now, we've only done fall. So the verdict is still out on that. All right, let's move on to the very last one. We are moving on to golden drumsticks, also known as Craspedia or Billy Balls. These are winter hardy to USDA zone seven. And they're these cheerful little one inch yellow globes that look like they're just suspended on sticks. They're beautiful, fresh or dried. Why are golden drumsticks worth growing? Oh my goodness. So first off, they dry beautifully. Um, but you'll always use them all up fresh. That's what happens for us. They're just, it's the shape there. It's just, it's kind of what Gumpfrina does for summer bouquets, having this bouncy little ball, a bright mixed amongst your flowers is just, there's just nothing else quite like it. And um, they're super sturdy. And again, we don't grow a hundred foot bed of it. And there is no leaves. Basically, you cut it right at ground level. And um, it's it's a super great flower to grow. It's just a cheerful little pop yeah. to add to your bouquets. So how many stems would you say each plant produces and how long does it produce for you? Sure. So, I mean, we got a lot of stems. The fall planted, I'd say 10 to 15 stems off of a plant easily. Um, and they start to get shorter as it heats up. So it just depends on how, when you planted them and what your weather conditions, but we're pretty much done with them as summer really gets going here. So do you plant successions? We fall plant them and I have very early spring planted and they are sufficient in our environment to get tall enough stems. I will tell you that fall planted, we get 36 inch stems. Um, and they, the head, as it develops, it has the texture and look of that yellow yarrow, like coronation. Um, and it dries beautifully. So it is really, really a special flower. And when you've been talking about just in general, throughout this whole episode about the number of stems, are you talking about at your initial harvest or over the life of that plant? Well, the initial probably two or three cuts, which are over two or three weeks. Um, It's the initial cut. And then those branches that are kind of like right behind that initial cut. And then again, your conditions and the way you care for them really matter what comes next and how well they actually, you know, kind of your skill. And there's just a lot of pieces. Um, You know, it makes me sad to read on social media when somebody will say, let's just take Billy Balls. I grew Billy Balls once and it was so short, I never grew it again. Well, it's like, when did you plant it? How did you treat it? Um, I wanna just encourage people to try everything three times, you know, over three years, not just, you know what I mean? Hit the right time, um, give them a chance because they all perform well. You're just missing a piece of the pie. And that's what I've learned about me. Yes, such great advice. Experimenting and recording your results is the best way to improve and ultimately find out what works best for you. So true. 
All right. Well, that was our episode for today. That was our first half of the Cut and Come Again Cool Flowers. Join us again in a future episode for part two, where we'll cover the remaining Cut and Come Again Cool Flowers. We always appreciate you listening and watching and leaving likes and comments on YouTube or ratings or reviews in a podcast app. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that we're doing at the Gardener's Workshop, you can head over to thegardenersworkshop.com to connect with us and check out our seed shop, which Lane is in charge of. And we also sell tools and supplies as well as my books. And we have a great big old library of online courses. So friends, thanks for joining us here today. And thank you, Lane. Great show. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Bye.